Open your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3, this morning. Um, we're going to, I mean, I was at the gym the other day, and, and uh, actually I was talking to somebody that, that, that was at the gym, and, and the gym is packed. You can't hardly grab any weights because everybody's there. Well, the reason is, is because it's that time of year. Everybody, you know, wants to get in shape, right? They, they want to start over, all right? So they want to get in shape, and, and so they make these New Year's resolution uh, where they're going to be faithful to the gym or diet. How many are going on a diet this, this year? You don't have to raise your hand if you want. I'm, 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 Judy and I, we put off our diet till the first, all right? That, that's, the way, that's the way people do. So, and, and we just follow through. And, and you may be here and you say, well, this year I want to work harder, make more money for my family, or, or maybe you've been thinking, I need to get control of my anger, you know, whatever it is. A lot of people, you know, they, they, uh, they want to get control of their life. And, and uh, why should it be any different when it comes to our spiritual life? Amen? Why should it be any different? We shouldn't, shouldn't we set goals for us spiritually? We, we, should, we, should, we should look at this year as, as this is the year that I want to get closer to God. I just, I just want to be intimate with the Lord, and, and, and I want to be able to help people find and follow Jesus. I want to do more for him this year than I've done last year. Well, look, look at Philippians chapter 3. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. You can look on the screen, or you can um, uh, look at your phones or, or whatever uh, Bible you have there. It says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not... I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. All right. I press on to reach my, the end of the race and receiving the heavenly prize, which God through Jesus Christ is my calling. So, so Paul says, this one thing I do, I'm forgetting the past and from this moment on, I'm reaching forth. Not just looking for it, but reaching, stretching forth. And so that transition right there is a start over. That's a brand new start. So even Paul in the scripture has a new start about him. Can you turn that down just a little bit? It's kind of ringing on me. And uh, so Paul has this new start. And uh, I, th- I think we all can agree on a couple things. Number one, that we've all fallen short of God's goals for our life. Amen? And, and secondly, we're dissatisfied with where we are spiritually in our lives. I mean, if you get to the place where you're content and you're satisfied with your spiritual life, you're going to stop growing. And, and, and so none of us want to do that. And so I want to talk about this morning starting over. Basically, it's, it's starting fresh. And look what Paul says in verse 13. He says, no, I have, brothers and sisters, I have not yet achieved. I have not arrived. I haven't been there. Well, Paul's kind of humble. And when you start over, there's going to be some enemies. When you, wanna, when you decide in your life, I'm going to go really forward for the Lord, and, and I'm going to do more this year than next year, there's going to be some enemies that arise in your life. And I'm not going to talk about all of them, but I want to talk about one of them. 
Because this, this new start we're going to talk about is going to go on for like four weeks. So I want to talk a little bit about the enemy number one that doesn't want us to start over. We got, we got Satan, we got our flesh, we got the world. And then inside the flesh, we have this one thing called pride. Pride is the enemy of starting over. Because like Paul, I mean, to say that I'm going to start over and this year I'm going to do better, uh, uh, you have to admit that you've fallen short. Paul says, I have not arrived. As a matter of fact, when you think about Paul, Paul the apostle was very humble. He said, he said I'm the least of, of all the saints, not just the preachers, not just the apostles. He says, I'm the least of all the saints. All right. Then he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And then he says in Rome, of course, he says here, I haven't arrived. But in Romans chapter 7, he said, what I want to do, I don't. And what I don't want to do, I do. So can we, can we come to the conclusion that Paul was a mess? Can we agree with that? Not that he was a mess. We don't think he was a mess, but he definitely thought he was a mess. That's called humility. Okay? So one of the enemies that you and I face when we think about starting over is pride. We don't want people. You, you think about going all out for God. I mean, seriously, you just let, you're all in. Like the Colts yesterday, all in to that win. Amen? Okay? All in. Hope there's no Texas fans. Is there any Texas fans here? One Texas. I'm sorry. Sorry, sis. But, but uh, so when, you, when you're getting ready to go all in, your pride doesn't want to because you got to let people in. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of us that don't want to let people in. Can I, can I hear an amen? We want to keep people at a distance so that they don't see what we're really like. Right? We don't want people to see what a mess we are. Well, Paul says, I am a mess. And that's where we need to get. It's just an open book. But pride doesn't want us. I don't want, to get, I don't want the preacher to get too close. He's going to see. I don't want to let anybody in. I got my boxes. And, I'm, you know, what happens is this. Pride leads to us hiding. I mean, there's so many so-called good Christians. And I listen very carefully. In a lot of big churches that go to those big churches for one single reason, and that is to hide. You can go in a big church, <laughs> hardly anybody shakes your hand, right? You go in these big churches, you get right in the door, you hear the good music, you know, something that you're used to, you hear the preaching, but you can leave, and nobody, nobody's going to hold you accountable. You can just live the way you want. You go in that church, and you just hide. Well, in a small church, it's a little bit harder because people are calling you all the time. Can you help? How many felt bad that they couldn't make it last, yesterday? Yeah, amen. See, that's good. You should feel No, I'm not good. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's got stuff to do, all right? So, so the idea is that pride leads to us hiding. Think back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve first sinned, what they do? They hid. When God was walking through the Garden of, of Eden, he said, Adam, where art thou? Of course, he knew where he was. And Adam says, well, I hid and I sold some fig leaves together because I didn't want you to see me, okay? That's what happens. We want to hide and and. and you know, just shrink back so that nobody sees our flaws and nobody knows this and we can just go through life without ever giving it our all. There are Christians, this, this city is full of Christians that are not willing to step out and help people find and follow the Lord. They're just sitting in their, their chairs and they're just doing nothing. And it's, it's the pride issue. Secondly, uh, pride leads to blame, okay? Another reason we don't want to start over because if we, the reason I'm a mess is because my dad 
or my mom or somebody else. You know, we, we see that all the time. You, 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 you watch TV. Well, the reason I am is because my parents know it's because you made some choices to follow your parents or to believe the lies that your parents. Adults, we have to take responsibility. But the point is, look at Adam and Eve again. When God came to Adam, what was the, what was the thing he said? He said, uh, he said, did you eat of that tree? And Adam said, uh, it was the woman, now he didn't blame Eve, that you gave me. <laughs> he was blaming God. Okay, Adam was blaming God for him taking the fruit. It was the woman that you gave me, Lord. And that's what we do. Okay, uh, another one is uh, Eve. God came to Eve and he says, she said, uh, it was the serpent that begot me. And none of us want to, take it. And that's what, that's what I love about Paul about starting over. He understands that pride literally separates you from God. I mean, you're still saved. You're still a child of God. But the, the, the anointing, the power of God can't flow through you. He can't use you. Now you become the enemy of the cross of Christ, the pride. I mean, we're, we're worried about all of these issues that are out there. If we just say, Lord, just help me to follow you. Not worry about what people think and not try to blame other people. Just, just simply follow you. Uh, uh, Paul had all kinds of reason to be prideful. And actually in the context of our, our chapter, we'd go through that, but we just don't have time. Third thing uh, sometimes pride causes is elevation of ourselves. Elevation. We elevate ourselves above others, and we begin to be judgmental of other people uh, that haven't arrived where we're at. Sometimes, especially older Christians, you know, we're a little bit more mature than a lot of other Christians, but we forgot how long it took us to get where we are. Now, we're still a mess. Can I hear an amen? amen? We're still a mess, like Paul the Apostle. But sometimes we look down at those Christians because... The last church I came from, we had to, we had to actually get rid of a couple of deacons because they were constantly upset that all these new believers that were coming in weren't living the kind of life that they thought that they should be living. And every week that when they'd come to me, I'd say, do you not remember where you come from? Do you not remember how long it took for you to step away from that lifestyle, and, and, and they couldn't remember because they were so bitter. They elevated themselves, so God can't use them any longer. We have to humble ourselves. We're not more important than anybody. So first of all, when you, when you think about starting over, there's these enemies. Now, I only talk about one, but there's a lot of enemies that don't want you to say this year, 2019, I want to get closer to God. I, I want God to use me. I, I, I want to help somebody find and follow the Lord. I, I want to pray more this year. I, I want to pray for more people. I want, I want to invest in unchurched people. I want to invest in people that are unsaved or are not saved or unchurched. I, I just want, I want, I want this year God's love to flow through me like it never has before. There's enemies. The last thing Satan wants is that. Sometimes the last thing your, hus your husband wants is that. Or your wife. Or your kids. There's some enemies out there when it comes to you totally surrendering to the Lord. 
There's a lot of enemies. We just talked about one. The second thing I want to talk about, and we'll just zero on this for a few minutes, is the goal to starting over. We have the enemy to starting over and the goal of starting over. Again, we're going to stay in the context. I want you to look at verse 10, okay? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 says this. I want to know Christ and experience the power of his resurrection. I want to suffer with him and share in his death. So he's, he's saying really three things, but he starts out with saying this. I want to know Christ. Now, the word know means to experience Christ. It's just not, I want to know a bunch of facts. It's not knowledge. It's more of Christ-likeness. Okay, I want to put up here verse 12 in the Amplified Bible. Do you have the Amplified verse 12 up there? I can't remember if I gave that to you or not. No? Okay. I I thought I did in my head. Okay, so the Amplified... well, let's go ahead and put, let's go ahead and put, uh, um, honey, go ahead and put the New Living Translation up, and then I'll talk at the di- difference about both of them. Okay, so I want to know Christ, experience the mighty power of his resurrection. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Now, let's go down to verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or have arrived, already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ ha- has taken hold of me. So, so go back there. I haven't already arrived. Well, in the Amplified version, or in the Amplified, it says this. It, it says, it puts a parenthesis because what it does is it, it's kind of like a commentary, and it says Christ-likeness. Not that I have already attained perfection, not that I already arrived, and he's referring to likeness of Christ. See, God's goal for you is that you become like Christ. And the power of God that he makes available to us, now listen very carefully, the power that he makes available to us is to help form us and make us into his image. That's why he says this, that I might know Christ, experience his likeness, his power, his suffering, and his death. Those three things he's looking at that he wants to experience. Well, who in the world wants to experience suffering and death? So we're going to dive into that. First, he wants to experience his power, all right? That I might know him. I want to experience the power. What kind of power? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, as we, as we get ready to dive into this, the power of Christ says this, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Nope. All right. But she's probably thinking, he is all over the map. What is he doing? All right, listen to this. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Now, notice this. For us. Okay? For us. So he's talking about God's power and God's power for us. Now, you hear a lot of preachers say that God will never share his power with another. All right? But notice what it says. It says, I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for who? For us who believe. And then he begins to describe what this power is. This is the same mighty power, go on, that raised Christ from the dead. Okay, so the power that raised Christ from the dead, that was an awesome power. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay, stay with me. A little hot in here. 
How many's hot? Just hang in here because the word is more important than a little sweat dripping down. Can I hear an amen? All right. So, so the power that God says is for us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. All right. That's available. It's great. He literally says that it's, that it's for you to be able to live the life that he's called you to live. So there's five things I want to dive in today. Five things that I think that the power of Christ will help us start over in five areas. Okay? Or will encourage us to be able to start over. Number one, the power that raised Christ from the dead shows us that God has the power to conquer all the trials and tribulations of life. Say it again. The power that raised Christ from the dead shows us that God has the power to conquer every trial and every tribulation that we will ever face. How's that? How's that show us anything like that? Because the greatest trial of life is the trial of death. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So God conquered death in raising Jesus from the dead. So if he can conquer death, that trial, every other trial, every other tribulation that you or I go through. How many go through a trial and tribulation on a regular basis? Things pop up in your life and you struggle with. All of us. Well, the great news is, is the power that raised Jesus from the dead, he's, he's literally giving it to you. It's available to you to use in the trials and in the tribulations. You start over many times spiritually, and then something happens, and you just give up. There's a lot of people that turn away from God because of the trials and the tribulations. They get up. Their goal is to have devotions. Something happens, falls apart. They haven't had devotions for a week, for a month, because of the trials. But here we see the encouragement. We have this power available. We can start over and live the life that God calls us to live, and we can conquer every trial and every tribulation that we face in life. Every single one. Nothing's too small for our big God. Zero. So no matter what you're going through, it's there. Now you're asking the question, how can I tap into that? And we're going to talk about that next couple of weeks. We're just looking at this power. So that encourages me that when I start this Getting closer to God this year, the trials are not going to stop me from living the life that God wants me to live. Because I have this power in me. It's for me and it's in me. Secondly, the power that raised Christ from the dead shows us that God has the power to give us new life and to live the new life. I mean, the Christian life can be hard. I'm not talking about all the do's and don'ts. I'm talking about just simply loving the unlovable. I'm talking about letting Jesus' love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, mercy. I'm talking about letting the person of Christ live through you. That's tough because your flesh wants to rise up and make decisions and call the shots. Can I hear an amen? That's what we do. We want to control our lives rather than just, okay, Lord, I'm just following exactly what you say. That's difficult because we have plans. We have goals. We have dreams. We have visions. And to be like Paul, Paul said, all of the things that I've gained, 
all of my dreams and all my, they are counted as garbage when it comes to following you. That's, that's amazing. Well, that's hard. That's hard to give up those things when you have those dreams. And God says, no, nah, I want you totally surrendering to me. That, that's difficult to, to love the unlovable, to care and reach, like we talked about investing in unbelievers. That's a difficult thing to do. Number three. The power that raised Christ from the dead shows us that he has the power to raise us from the dead. You say, how does that encourage us? Well, this is not the end. We should be looking forward to death. Not us Christians. There is no, the only reason we want to stay behind is so that we can reach more people to take with us. Because the joy and the love and, and the blessings we have now is going to be much more there. You see, when we cl- Christians struggle just like unchristians. Death isn't the end. It's just the beginning. All it is is an open door into the spiritual realm of things. And it's fantastic stuff. Let me give you, just give you an example of some scriptures. And you can even write it down in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses um, 13 through the end of the chapter. But here's the, here's the idea, is that Jesus is going to come back to the sky. He's going to stop. And let's just say it happens tonight. Jesus is going to come back before the football game. He's going to come back. And then he's going to, he's going to literally, those that come back with him, all those dead saints, they're going to come, and, and Jesus is going to stop in the sky, but they're going to come and reunite with their bodies. And then they're going to bust through the ground with their brand new bodies. And they're going to go up to the Lord. But as they're going, you and me, we're going to change into our new bodies. And then we're going to raise to be with him. Now, now, that is a, how many want to do that? How many want to experience that translation and be taken up? Well, listen, even if we don't get that and we die in the ground, as soon as we close our eyes, we open them face to face with the Son of the living God. I mean, that, that's exactly what death is. It's, it's not, oh, I'm going to be in the grave and I'm, I'm going to be separated from my family. That's what everybody thinks. Oh, I'm separated. No. If your family is safe, they're going to be there with you eventually. And my point is, I mean, all, I mean, David's already there. Paul's already, all these people are already there waiting for us. And those people that we led to the Lord that are dead, they're there as well. Now, for an unbeliever, it's not that good. We can go to Luke chapter 16. Uh, 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 Lazarus opened his eyes. He was with at, at Abraham and all the Old Testament saints. The rich man opened his, hell, his eyes in hell being tormented. That's what drives us to stay here to help these people to find Jesus Christ. That's, that's why we're here. Can everybody say amen? amen. All right. So, number four. Uh, so it just encourages us for what the future holds. The next two are the same way. The power that raised Christ from the dead shows us that God has the power to exalt us and to reward us. When, G- when God raised Jesus from the dead, he exalted him above all names and literally rewarded him. Ephesians talks about that and made him the head of the church and, and then everybody is submitted to Jesus Christ. So, so basically put him in the place of his rightful position. Well, because he done that, that's an example. That's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He's going to do the same with us. Those of us 
who serve the Lord and serve him faithfully. There's going to be a day when we stand before Christ and we're going to be judged. And we're going to have gold, silver, and precious stone. How many have that in your home right now? Just raise your hand. We're going to write your name down here so we can come and visit you later on. Gold, silver, and precious. I have nothing like that in my house. I have nothing like that in my safe deposit box in the bank. I don't even have a safe deposit in the bank. How many got a safe deposit box in the bank? I know some of you do. All right. Okay. But in heaven, all the things we, a cup of cold water to a disciple, the small things that we do for the Lord, the Bible says there's rewards in heaven. Heaven. So it's not just that we, we we're open our eyes and we're in the presence of the Lord, but we open our eyes and we're in the presence of the Lord, and then there's all of these reward, rewards that are going to be given to us for literally serving Him now. Or, should I say, following Him and dying to ourselves and, and living for Him. Not working for this world and gathering all this stuff that can't last. That, that literally becomes the gold here, if we don't use it right, becomes wood, hay, and stubble in heaven. So the, 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 the poorest person, Lazarus, was a beggar, yet he was rich in heaven. The rich man on earth was poor in hell. Okay, so... so it doesn't translate. What we do here, even just encouraging somebody, because our goal is to help people find and then help people follow. We want to encourage brothers and sisters in the Lord to follow the Lord, help them up. When they're knocked down, we love them, we care for them, we walk beside them. I got a phone call this, this week from an old church member years ago. Her husband, really, really close to us, and... and um, she just texted me a message from Charles Stanley. And it was a message about brokenness. And, and she, was, she was just broken, so I called her. And, uh, and uh, the church kind of had not been there for her. Her own family, church family. And, and that's not what we want for real life, amen? When somebody falls, we want to rally around them the best we possibly can. Now, sometimes people push us away and they don't want us around but we still go after it, and it takes a team. Here's, here's what happens. When you don't have a small group in your church, and you're not involved in a small group, that's what happens. Everybody thinks somebody else is doing it. But in a small group, you're together every week, and that small group becomes their church. That small group becomes their family. That, that's what the, they have a leader of the small group. That becomes their pastor. That's what small group is all about. And so when you don't get involved in small group, those kinds of things take place because everybody else thinks everybody does. But in a small group, man, eight people, you can, you can handle being there for each other like that. One more thing. Uh, the power that raised Christ from the dead also shows us that God has the power not only to exalt us as the exalted Christ, but to reign and rule with Christ for a thousand years. In other words, there's another thought. And we're talking about starting over, and we're talking about these truths encourage us to go on. We have his power, okay? We have his power to start over. It's, it's within us. And, and, but this one is, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because the Bible teaches us, now listen very carefully, the Bible teaches us 
that there's a future. It's called the millennial reign of Christ where believers will be in our new bodies, but we will be ruling and reigning with him. It goes on to say some will have in charge of five kingdoms, ten kingdoms. Some will be governors and lieutenants of all of these things. And it's based on our service for the Lord. You know, people think about heaven being so boring and, and this Christian life so dead. It's a far cry when you really dig down and you see what it's all about. Christianity is not about yourself. It's about others. And as we begin to live the true, genuine Christian life, these kind of things, what, what the ruling and reigning side by side with Christ encourages us to keep on going and not to give up, to start over. Make this the year. Make this the year that your life counts for the Lord. Big time. Brand new year. Paul says, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And then he goes on to number two, the fellowship of his suffering. Now, who in the world wants to suffer? <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. Paul's saying, I don't want to turn my back and just get whiplash, just to get whipped. What he's talking about is we want to share, Paul wants to share, now listen very carefully, in the purpose for which Christ was suffering. Now follow this. It wasn't, I just want to be suffer. I just want to suffer. He wants to share in the purpose for which Christ suffered. Well, why did Christ suffer? Because he wanted to make man acceptable to God. He wanted to bridge that gap and bring man and God and reconciliate the two. And that's what Jesus did. And so what Paul was saying, I want to know what that's about. I want to be involved in reconciling the world to Christ so that I can experience that suffering. But you say, why would, people, why would people cause people to suffer? Why would people persecute people that are trying to help them? Good question. Number one is because of the, everybody has their own religion. They have their own ideas about Christianity. Well, my grandma said this. Well, my grandpa said that. Or I heard this on the radio. But this right here is really what it's all, the, the word of God, okay? So, so they don't want, they persecute you because they have their own religion. And they don't like yours because it's convict, convicting. Matter of fact, they killed Jesus Christ because his was different than the religion of Jesus' day. The Pharisees and the scribes, who killed Jesus Christ? It wasn't the unbeliever. It wasn't the unchurched. It was the Jews. It was the religious crowd that killed Jesus Christ. Okay? So they get mad because, hey, the, the second one is because nobody wants to be, point out their sin. <laughs> All right? I mean, if, the, if they need a Savior, then that, what's that say? Okay? So, so there's a lot of reasons that people get upset and uh, they cause you to suffer. So what Paul is simply saying, I don't want to just suffer for suffering's sake. I want to suffer the same reason that Christ suffered. And that is helping people find the Lord. Number three, Paul says, I just want to, I just want to know his power. I want to experience his power in my life, which is available. He says, I want, to, I want to experience the suffering of Christ. If I'm not suffering for Christ, I'm really not living for the Lord. Because this is what it says. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul said this, you know, if you're not living for God, or you're not 
Satan's not after you. He probably doesn't know who you are. Okay, so he, number three, he says, I want to be conformed to the image of his death. So he says, I'm, I'm yearning. I want to experience the power. I want to experience the suffering. And then thirdly, he says, I want to experience his death. Well, what's he talking about? Paul's, Paul says he, he, he puts his own flesh, his own natural desires to death. He, he wants to experience the death of Christ, not the physical more of the denying self. Uh, Jesus said it this way uh, in John chapter 4 when he was speaking to the woman at the well. Uh, the disciples went to get meat and he sat with the woman, led her to himself. She went away. The disciples came back to bring him meat, food. They were upset that he wasn't eating. Now listen, he said this. He says, he says, my meat, you, have, you don't even know what my meat is. Let me explain. My meat is to do the will of the Father and to finish it. So even Jesus Christ wasn't doing his own will. He was following everything the Father planned for him. He was fulfilling to the max. And so Paul is simply saying this, I want to be like the Lord, and I want to get in his groove, in his will, and follow him, and not have him die to my own plans, die to my own dreams, die to my own visions. I want to be like Christ. That's what he's referring to. So as we start as we start this new year, I'm just simply up here encouraging you, don't just do the diet thing. Don't just do the working harder and, 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 and you need to do those things. You need to work on your relationship with your kids, work on your relationship with your spouse, do those kind of things. But don't leave out spiritually, the spiritual stuff, all right? Make this year a year that you get closer to God. Like, like Paul says, I yearn. I long to know his power. I want to be intimate with him. I want to know his power, that he's literally living his life through me. The only way to do that, literally, is to die to yourself. There's no other way. You have to say no to the flesh, like your finances. It's no different. You've got this budget going on, and you want to go out to eat. Can I hear an amen? How many love going out to eat? One of my favorite things in the world. Why? It's not for the food. The food's sometimes junky. It's the, it's the surrounding. It's, it's just the addiction of the flesh. That's what it is. We don't have to clean up at home. We go in and eat. We let everybody else clean up as we go home to a nice, comfortable, take a nap, right? Okay. We have to say no to that to our finances. And a lot of cases, well, you know how many hundreds of dollars you can save a week by not going out to eat? Man, I can hear a dime drop in here. <laughs> I, I, I'm just talking about if you need it in your budgeting, all right? I'm just talking about budgeting, if, you're, if that's your goal. Okay, saying no to that is the same way. Say no. Instead of doing what you want to do, do what somebody else wants to do. Put them ahead of yourselves. Just like when it says Christ loved the church, he put the church before himself. Husbands, you're to put your wife before yourself. Christian, you're to put others. Instead of arguing and demanding your rights, live for others. That's what's almost impossible. It is impossible with the power of God flowing through you. I, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably talking deeper than, than, than normal, but I'm telling you, this power to live this life is available.
Ask for it. Ask for it. Forty-some years I've been begging God, begging him to help this year be the better year in my spiritual walk than last. That's what we all need to do. Oh, God, help me die to myself and live for you and others this year. Let's all stand this morning.